I'm looking at what's their hunger and drive. How do they handle the valleys? Because it's always like when you're in the peaks, you're never going to yeah. hit 12 months in a, in a year. It's like how you actually handle when you're not having a good month. Hey, Michelle, great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Great. It's great to be here. Hey, Michelle. After a lot of technical difficulty, I made it. My own <laughs> yeah, doing. It's only taken so us 30 minutes, but we made it. So this is going to be the best episode we've ever done. Um, <laughs> let's, just, let's just remember you solved the issue and got out the other side. I would have given up 25 minutes ago. So you did. I did. Well. I, 26 minutes in, we got it. Here we are. Resilient. Michelle, take us through your journey. How did you get into tech? What are you now doing at G2? Give us the whole play. Yeah. So I'll say... I'll start with the now. I am VP of sales at G2. And if I back into that journey, I actually, I've had a sales quota since I was 15. So it, this is something that I've just always been used to and never thought anything different. And I've never, I've had a couple odd jobs here and there that I didn't have that opportunity to make more as not being like in a set base salary role. But when I was, in, I was 15, I had, I worked for a healthcare company and I had to sell health surveys. So Fast forward to going to college and on the side, I worked at a car dealership. I also from there started looking at, well, what am I going to do long term? And I I found an outside sales role when it was actually, that was a BDR role before BDR was is what it is today. So I had yeah. 45 businesses a day. I had a zip code and I had to knock on the doors all day. You started at nine and then you went out and then you came back at 530 and had your slip of paper for your sales that you did. And so I was selling office supplies. I did that and I moved. I, I'm actually from Nebraska. I moved from Nebraska to Iowa to open an office there and help the team. And then how I got to Chicago, where I'm located now, is through the headquarters that was here. I worked that in office supply sales for about three and a half years, went from being an outside BDR to running an inside sales team. And from there, that's when I really wanted to get into tech because I, I wanted to challenge myself, not saying that selling office supplies was not challenging, just wanted to, to think through something different and something that I think I had more opportunity to grow and have potential. So from there, I moved into the tech world, working for Career Builder for six years. I went back from being a manager to an IC, moved back into sales leadership, and then from Career Builder, I came over to G2. So I've been at G2 for six years. Wow. What a journey. And then when you look back at those office supplies days, what was the biggest takeaway from that era? Oh, man. I will say this. I don't know if this is like ages me in a sense that there is no true training like that in having to be face-to-face -face and being told no and having to have self-awareness to control your emotions and be respectful and also politely push back and then walk away and get like a second or third no. So I would say my takeaway was that is I learned, I learned my self-awareness two weeks in. My first two, first two weeks were pretty rough, but then I started figuring it out. And one of my prouder sales was we sold no soliciting signs because it was office supply company. And somebody said, we have a no soliciting sign. And I said, I missed it. I have bigger ones. And I turned it into a sale. So they bought a new no soliciting sign in their office. So nice little fun fact. Yeah, Michelle, I love that journey. Because a lot of people we spoke to in sales, they're like, oh, I just fell into it. You're like, no, I did it. I did it from 15 all the way up. I, I remember doing 
the same job you're talking about. We used to have to go knock on businesses' doors and they'd just be like shooting your desk. There's the entire walk up the stairs and you get to the top. And oh, I once yeah. did it selling cheap Chinese knockoff toys. And I think I got <laughs> yelled out of, I got yelled out of a lot of buildings. And you know, it was one of those sharp operations where you meet in the car park and they'd give you your product and you'd go sell it. Oh, um, yeah. I think there is something powerful about learning how to do face to face selling that way and just getting beaten up all the time. As you've grown into sales leadership, has it given you any perspective or ways to help coach people that you're dealing with who don't get that opportunity anymore really to just go out and get punched in the face as often as I guess we did when we were growing up? Yeah. 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 And it's a good question. And it's funny you say that. And I'm like thinking back, I was in Nebraska and Iowa, which if you don't know, that's middle of the country, very cold and snow. And so I'm trudging through snow to do this. And it's, it's old. Oh, I walked 10 miles to go to school. That's that story I'm telling my sales reps, I think it just goes to the importance of role-playing and how to handle the objection handling, given it's not as scary to get an objection from you through the screen because I am far away and you can't, yes, you can see my emotions with the camera on me, but it's not as like visceral being just like right there mm. and having to have that conversation. So the best you can do Asking those questions, even though it is virtually with your manager to role play, hey, this is, no, I'm not going to move forward with this and pushing them on, let's, let's fail in all of these scenarios so that when it is game time, you know exactly what to do. Yeah. We get to do the like, how dare you call me during my work times? I can't believe you went after me. I used to get sometimes like, how dare you come in here? There's no risk of someone throwing you down the stairs either when you're doing it online. That would be. No, yeah, there's no or calling the cops to say, you're not supposed to be here. No, I think it's probably good. I don't know if I've walked through that specific scenario, but it's probably worth it. Tell me what if you just chuck out next time you do a rock, I'd just be like super aggressive in their face. Like, Hell, you don't understand. No, they were my favorite ones. I, I, used, to, I used to have a lot of fun with those. That's probably yeah. why I turned out to be a terrible salesperson. Yeah. Let's not well, get this one. How'd you That's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. So much has changed, Michelle. We spoke about the digital adoption and sales in particular, but what's one or two things that you got to remain consistent all the way through from the time you started off your career in sales from 15 to where you are now? Hands down, I would say discovery and how you're asking questions. One thing I say to new hires at start is you can learn our product. You'll get there. But what you need to learn is how to uncover pain and how to talk to your buyers and your personas and really, truly understand. You're never going to know every answer to every product-specific question right when you start. And you're going to do yourself a disservice if you try to learn it all at once and then not learn actually how to have a conversation mm -hmm. with your customers and understand where we can make an impact to their organization. So I would say hands down that that yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think has ever changed in the history of selling. I'm on the same bandwagon. We had changed our onboarding process after so many discussions and butting heads from product orientated to then making it more ICP and persona based. So mm -hmm. just wanted to lean in on your experience, Michelle, then what is an onboarding process for your team look like? What do you do within the first month and then first quarter? Yeah. I think depending on the role, so I, in my world, I oversee our account executives, which is new business, so straight hunting. And then the way we do it is you, once you sell the new logo, you pass it over to an account manager and then you work with an account manager and a customer success manager. So I, I oversee those three roles. And the great thing about on the hunting side, you can just get on the phone as fast as you possibly can to start getting that line of questioning. Of course, we have even their manager or their mentor join. So that one is a little bit more, let's 
go for it and fail fast and learn and get your sea legs. We do have traditional onboarding programs that we work through our enablement team, but when it comes to doing it, it's more quicker to jump on the job. We also use our call recording software that you can, we ask that you listen to a handful of calls. Again, one thing that I wish I would have had when I was growing up in my sales career, just like a library of recorded calls that can slice and dice and give you all this amazing intel and the AI that's on it today. It's quite amazing. And then on the customer side, that's where we're really spending a lot of time before you get on the call to talk to your customers. You're getting to understand the why they buy, the details in the intricacies on value-based selling versus just trying to get on the phone and handle renewals. Because that in the world we're in today, there is a lot of turnover just in general. And Mm. that customer continuity is so important. And so I take that very, I don't, yeah, don't take it lightly in a sense that I want that, I put that customer's feelings and thoughts on the relationship very highly to make sure that they don't feel like it's, oh, here we go, another song and dance. I have to give my whole story on why, who I am and why I bought. And I want that new hire to know how to do their blueprinting and their research internally before they jump on. So Michelle, I come from the corporate environment where business development was a big thing, like big enterprise sales, a lot of work was done in developing those relationships before a sale actually arrived. I feel like we live in a world where it's all so transactional and AEs, not always, but a lot of AEs have this expectation that pipeline is going to be generated by either marketing teams or SDRs. What are your views on that when it comes to like full full cycle AE and like how much prospecting should an AE be doing? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think you're really right. I It's almost, I compare it to you have a good month and sometimes the foot goes off the gas because you're like, oh, I had a good month. But then two months down the line, that's going to show up. It's if you're, you are getting used to getting a lot of pipeline from your other sources, which is really important. We partner well with our BDR team and our marketing team. You can definitely miss. And I, I think however you, your company's set up and how you can divide it out, we have it where 70% of our AE books are BDR source and 30% is AE. And so the AE is picking the strategic accounts that they're doing their soft touches with, but they're also working with their BDR on the messaging and maybe going over the like BDR send something and then they some, send something. So it's, it is a strategic approach. And with the changes on how we can go to market with emails, there's going to be a lot of people that, that I, how do I say this? <laughs> There's going to be an abrupt halt in pipeline because it's going to say, oh, what do I do? I can't just send all these mass merges and I need to actually pick up the phone and send very curated messaging that's going to get a response. So I think it's incredibly important for for an AE to take ownership of that. No matter if you're SMB all the way to enterprise, you cannot rely on your other sources. So given those changes, Michelle, I, what are you and your teams are doing in order to set up for success for 2024 and beyond? Yeah, good question. Of course, we're still like learning about it. Yeah. But it is that. It's having those conversations on, we are not just going to go for the, I hate the terminology, like the mass spray and pray. We're going to see how many will respond, right? That's not going to work. And so I am. I know that there's going to be less actual emails that will get sent out, but I'm more interested in understanding the conversions. And so mm-hmm. we're talking now on personas and wh- who we should be targeting, what messages they care about, and leveraging the personas in our own organization to say, hey, 
when you get a prospect email, what actually makes you respond? So just like using our resources to ensure that we're being smart with the way that they're, we're going to go do our outreach. Jeanette, are you factoring in community, field sales, and customer referral a lot more into your budget planning for next year? Is that coming into play? I'll say that isn't in my realm of having to worry about on the budget side. I would say mm-hmm. we do. We just did an event, a virtual event, a couple weeks ago that was we saw a lot of success in. So yeah, that is definitely a piece of it. And I have, my teams are in the mid-market up to lower enterprise and figuring out our budgets to get back in person. There's an appetite from our customer base to have in-person meetings. And so figuring out where are our target accounts to actually get some real meetings set up so we can go back and meet with our customers and develop that relationship. Yeah. Michelle, one thing our audience is they're really interested in is getting a window into your day in a week. So can you give us a run us through as to what is a typical day or perhaps a week look like for you? Sure. I'll say I have made adjustments as I like look at my calendar. I have made adjustments to my timing. Yeah. I I think it was Ryan Barreto, who he's the president at Sprout Social. He came and talked to us at one of the events and just said, I align my calendar to my key initiatives. And so that that changed my mindset a little bit and understanding where I should be spending my time and saying no to meeting. And so for me, I, as I have to think about the now, so thinking about my time with my leaders, I have to think about what's happening in the field. And so I take time to meet with all of the direct ICs on the teams so that I can understand what they're facing on the day-to-day, talk about roadblocks, talk about ideas and challenges, so I make space for that. And then the last piece of it is part of my role is thinking long-term. So what are the strategies that we need to put in place? Where are my cross-functional partnerships with product and some of our other teams to make sure that next year when we're planning, we're set up mm-hmm. in the, the right spot? Yeah, that's a good split. Michelle, just being a little bit tactical here, so maybe run us through your one-on-one cadence like what works well for you what are the topics that you discuss with your ICs what are the kind of the action plan or action points you walk away from each time you catch up with them yeah so for the ICs I their leaders are doing their the deal reviews talking through strategy and forecast and so I try to make it very direct and deliberate to what they're facing today what are the customers saying? What are the roadblocks? What are the controllables? What are the not non-controllables into the day-to-day that they're working on? And then I take that and I go to those cross-functional meetings that I was just talking about to try to ensure that the things that we are working on future planning are addressing some of the now either challenges or ideas or opportunities. We've hired thousands of sales professionals over our years. And if there was something I really sucked at, it was identifying if a salesperson wasn't going to be successful, I'd definitely hold on for two years and then be like, oh, mate, you didn't hit quite a one. So maybe it's not the right spot. You've obviously got a really strong onboarding mechanism. You got a really strong cadence in how you spend time with your people. Do you have any tips or was there anything that you, you have picked up over your years into identifying when someone's struggling and are there things that you do to help them before you might identify they're not the right fit for for the way your your business is selling? Yeah. I think the beauty of being in sales is you get what you put into it, right? If you, I don't want it to be that way, but if you literally send the most emails, you probably could get the most responses back. Of course, we need to be more strategic, 
But it's all about the will and the skill. When I'm looking at hiring, I'm not looking at, like I mentioned, the product knowledge or those type of things. I'm looking at what's their hunger and drive? How do they handle the valleys? Because it's always like when you're in the peaks, you're never going to yeah. hit 12 months in a, in a year. It's like how you actually handle when you're not having a good month. And then the last is how do you actually apply feedback? And if you don't apply feedback, you can hear it. Oh, yes, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do that, Michelle. And then nothing ever happens. Then that it's again, the great thing about this job is you put work into it and you can see results in return. Um, Is there a go to question that you have, Michelle, that you ask every candidate you've ever hired? Yeah, there I I ask two depending on the the rounds that they're in. The first one I I ask is it's actually more of a rhetorical question is I ask what question they, they wished I would have asked. I do that because I want to know what they're trying to portray to me. Mm. Like, what is the ending thought that they want this first interview to be? Like, what they want me to think of them on it? And, of course, I ask them the question that they say. And so if it doesn't align with our needs, it's a good way for me to understand that maybe it's not the right fit. And then the other question that goes to the self-awareness piece is if they're in, and I stole this one too, we, we steal and borrow a lot of good things. If it's a pitch round, which we normally, I think most sales organizations have some type of role play or pitching in their interview processes, at the end of it, actually ask them, hey, scale of one to 10, how did you think it went? They say six. And then you ask them, what did you need to do differently to get the four points to get to 10? And then that goes to the self-awareness piece and understanding, can I quickly assess things that I feel like I could have done differently? Or am I saying I'm 10 out of 10? And I'm coming in and I have a whole list of things that I think they could have done differently. Always 10 out of 10. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's also, okay, if they think they're 10 out of 10, great. Everyone's going to have their own opinion. But what happens if we had a hard call and I have to get feedback? How are they going to take that feedback? Because then it might not be taken in a, it might be a little bit more defense, defensive, not as open or self-aware. Yeah. You ever do that yeah. in one of those pitch ones where you're like, just stop and go, hey, just you're doing a really good job, but just have that thinking about this and then being like, and then kick back into it and see whether they actually apply any of what you just told them. Yeah, yeah. And I think Kevin Dorsey said, and I thought it was a really insightful thing of you don't, and I'm going to get this completely wrong, but you don't just have one practice before you get into the game. You're doing tons of buildup, days mm. and months. And so if it's just, I'm going to tell you one thing and then you try it once, you're like, okay, I'm good. It's never going to stick. And so it's, it's also on the manager to continue to look at that or and say, hey, can you send me a snippet? Because again, the call recording software is awesome. Can you send me a snippet of you trying it again? And so that's, it like gets that muscle working there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you've done a fair job. I think he says something similar. We had him. And it's, I was like, it's a wrestling one, I think. Oh, you- when we were talking about it, we used like soccer oh, analogy okay. as one, but it was the same. Like you got to. You have to practice way more than you, have to, you actually get to play the game, right? I right. think that's right. the point he tries to make. Changing the subject here a little bit, Michelle. What about metrics? What matters most to you? I know there's, we're inundated with so much, especially in this digital era, right? Yeah. But for you as a, as a VP, what are you looking at the most? What I'm looking at is understanding in, like, overall what we're sending out, how many meetings we're actually getting, how many people we're talking to at an organization. But if I'm thinking about at the IC level, again, it goes back to the differences between inputs and outputs. Of course, pipeline to me is incredibly important, but pipeline just doesn't show up. It's actually the inputs that you put through. I do think that getting on the calling is people think it's dying and it's definitely not. And so that's something that's important to me is are we picking up the phone and trying to get a hold of folks and not just relying in, on email? 
And then it's looking at the conversions. How are your conversion rates versus your peers versus the benchmark? And we'll do our sales math on how many you need, how many meetings you need, how those meetings will convert to this much pipeline. This pipeline would traditionally convert to this much ARR, ACV, however you track it. Yeah. But I, I will like say that. one that I is always been important, but I feel like it's been way more imperative is number of contacts in the account because there has been a lot of change in roles and change in jobs. And if you're stuck with one POC, you're putting, you're setting yourself up for yeah. failure. Yeah. Multi-threading is so important. Michelle, how do you deal with what I would describe as the Ronaldos of the sales teams, right? Like my inputs, my activities, I'm the type who's like, Michelle, okay, I'm going to be on your team. So I'm hitting all my numbers. I'm acing all my quota attainment, but I don't follow the activities. I don't look at my conversion rate. I don't really care about any of that. All I ever tell you is like how good I am mm-hmm. and how great I'm going to be and how great I have been for the business and continuously just drum that beat. We all have uh-huh. had those on our teams. What's your approach to dealing with people? Like? So I think it's, it starts back to day one on setting the expectations of what your base salary is on the day-to-day activities that this role is required. And no matter where you're at, it is a requirement to be on this team to do these things. So if you're not setting that, then you have to, I think you have to reset those expectations and you're doing it for the best of them. I, I always say starting Simon Sinek, starting with the why, that is number one in sales to know why everyone's doing this and working these this crazy job. That is the highs and lows because we're not doing it for fun. And so you have to be able to also tie that back. There's because, again, there is mm. a reason why people hit President's Club one year and don't the next year because they don't follow the conversions. They don't follow the metrics because they're like, you know what? I had a, I'm going to just do me and I'm going to do what worked and I hit. And then there's nothing to back it up for the next year. Yeah, that happens a lot. I wanted to ask you about forecasting. So I found forecasting probably the most challenging part of what I did. I think everything's getting rolled up. You're being made all these promises and I'm going to Sean going, hey, this is where we're going to head. We're going to be 150% off our, off our Q4 budget. Turns out it's never, it was never going to hit 150. It was more like whatever it was. So what's your approach? What's your cadence? How deep do you go into it? How does the entire organization at G2 look at forecast? Yeah. So we have, we do use a forecasting tool. And at my level, I, we have a, I have a weekly forecasting meeting with my peers and my boss, CRO, and our head of RevOps. So we talk through the week. What gets us there is ICs are having, they're submitting their roll up. The leaders are going to have their forecast meeting. That's pretty traditional. The thing that, I have found that has been really helpful in those forecast meetings with ICs is trying to pressure test in a good way. <laughs> Accountability is everything. What's staging? And it, you're doing it in front of peers too. And so everyone can learn live on what it means to have a deal in most likely versus having a deal in best case. Those are terms that we use personally. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of organizations do. And it, it's one of those things too, of calling out that the here are the renewals. I see health, green health but you're only calling 50% is going to come in. What am I missing? And, and those are the things that I'm not trying to call people out, but it is. You have to learn from that. And in order to be an enterprise seller, you have to be very good at forecasting because enterprise mm. is the hardest to forecast. Deals, deal cycles can mm. be eight months and you you don't know when they're going to come in. If you do, you need to have those answers. So we have 
closed plan questions that we want them to have answered before they move into most likely what who's signing, when are they signing, what's is their procurement, what are what would stop them from signing, like those type of questions that I want to see those answers to before we we truly move deals into our most likely stage, which is what we call like closest to the pit. That makes a ton of sense. The other thing is most organizations I've not necessarily worked with, but come to know they focus most of their time on one deals as opposed to lost deals. Mm. How often do you do deal reviews, Michelle, and who's involved and why is it necessary? Yeah, we do on a weekly basis. The leaders do it within their own teams. And then we also do, you said lost deals. We'll do an at-risk deal session with the leadership team to just figure out we're very big in collaborative selling. And so it's all hands on deck to talk through what are the challenges? What what can we do to face them? And I just had a call today and we're trying to revamp it to be more of a checklist to help the ICs know when, how to raise their hand when it is like a potential red flag of an at-risk customer. But on the, I would say even on the hunting side, even more, that deal review pre-sales has been super helpful to be with your peers. So it's everyone, we take 45 minutes, everyone is dialed into that session and Mm -hmm. there to just throw everything at that IC to make sure that we have a rock solid case or to provide ideas on how to move forward. It is not, sales is not a lone wolf role anymore. And you really have to be okay with taking advice and and putting it into to action, but also giving advice. Yeah. Those are some solid tips. What are you excited about for the next 12 months and the next stage at G2? I'm excited about a lot of stuff. I think there is, at G2 specifically, we have an awesome opportunity. Our traffic is growing and we have an amazing buyers that come to our site to do research and equally amazing customers that, that we have data that they can leverage to help their own sales team and arm their own sales and marketing team. But in general, I, I look at, of course, there's a lot of exciting things with AI, but I'm never going to rest on the fact that sales skills and our role is still going to be crucial and important. And mm. I think it's, I'm most excited about how to leverage AI to, for us to be as slick as we possibly can to get to those deals faster, higher conversions, get better responses on the, the less emails we have to send now. So those are a couple of things that I'm excited for, but also, just being in G2, I'm always a challenge and I love it. Six years at a startup is like, what, 20 years? It feels like, at right? At least. And what keeps me there is the people, the collaboration. And it's just, there's just a lot of fun things that, that we're doing. And then I love being able to talk to all different types of industries within SaaS. So those are a couple of things. Yeah, sounds pretty exciting. Uh, Last question from me. When you do decide to retire, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, that's a great question. I've always gotten my joy from is seeing those that I have worked with get the goals, achieve the goals that they have set. I talked about the why. That's an exercise I do Mm -hmm. with everybody at IC and leader and seeing people that I have hired when I was a frontline leader and now they're either my peer or above me is the coolest experience. When I think of my legacy, it's more of I have helped develop not only female leaders, but Leaders in the industry, not saying you have to have a leader title or this could be ICs, just being a leader and having a positive impact, having integrity and achieving the things that you want to achieve in your life. So those are the things that most excite me. That's pretty cool. That's become the, yeah, it's 
That's what a lot of people have said. I expected mm. someone to go just because I was the best. Or... Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. No one's willing to say that. No Everyone's like, oh, wait. <laughs> well, I suppose it's being recorded. Yeah. You've got to say, you've got to say, hang up the boots. You left it out. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I just like, I don't know. Like, my, what are we, my OCD, is, my OCD gets wrangly when yeah. you don't keep the question the same way, dude. No. <laughs> but I think that's <laughs> great. That's a good answer. Asking it. That's how we did it. Right? Like, hey, when you yeah. hang up your boots and then... We had Devon on. He was like, what are boots? Oh, that's funny. This whole thing about boots versus yeah. cleats. And it's, oh, man. Got so it. Hence why shit. Got it. But it's also, it's we like, don't, it's like live role playing as we speak yeah. right now. <laughs> that's why we don't give heads up on that question too, because it's better to see an organic answer with people go, oh, geez, that's like, it is. A, it's a, I, I thought about it too. I'm like, geez, that's a tough question to throw at someone randomly in a podcast. So that's it is an answer what I would do if I were retired, even though you like asked but didn't, but I'll answer. <laughs> you wanted to roll back to that, but yeah, yeah please. Yeah. Go. I would. So I am, my fun fact is I actually have my Bachelor of Fine Arts. So I'm an artist. So I would, as long as my kids are doing their own thing somewhere independently, would move to an island and teach art classes outside, like teach like landscape painting or something like that would be a dream. Fiji or somewhere. Yeah. yeah. My my husband's a scuba diver. So like he could have a dive shop. Yeah. He'd have that. That's all mapped out. Yeah. Austra- hey, Australia's cool. an island. New Zealand's an island. We're islands. Yeah, we uh, I wouldn't mind yeah. that. I wouldn't yeah. mind it. I, it feels like a little far from my kids, but they could get over it. They'll, who knows how old they'll be at yeah. that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. would love to take you through a quick fire round, Michelle. These are pretty easy. So only one answer, by the way. These are not multi chores. Like, there's no, hey, this today and it's tomorrow. Okay. There's no boots. Can't there's change no it. cleats. No, no, no. There's no. Okay. No, Got no. it. Okay. Favorite sports team? I'm going to have to say this with an asterisk, but I am a Nebraska Cornhusker. They're really not good, but I'm st- it's, I grew up with that. And so I will never not say anybody but Nebraska Cornhusker. That's the best when you still support a team and they're not good and you just yeah. roll through it. Uh, yeah, it's easy to jump on the winner, right? Only true fans stay with teams that suck. It's true, but as also, it really makes it really hard to watch. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Sean understands it well. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm uh, that's why that's, yeah. he wears this hat on deliberately every time, <laughs> just to show his support for the team. That, 100%. Did you get, what'd you get? We were, how did you yes. go last year? We were last. We were like, that, yeah. That's, that's it's this a, year, mate. This year's always over. It doesn't matter, right? It's a nation. Next, next year, we, I mean, we're going to win the whole thing. What you do in the yeah. valleys, man, right? When you're not yeah. at the peak. Yeah. 100%. So what about the pipeline? Pipeline's looking great. Yeah, it's hey, looking good. The, the, the future yeah. is the story about the last quarter. The next well, we quarter. Won't, you've always got next season. Next season's about to kick off two months away. We're back in the hunt. Michelle, favorite music type. What do you listen to? What's on your playlist? I like country music. So I oh, am a cool. Shania Twain, Kenny Chesney oh, yeah. stan. Yeah. I actually know Shania Twain. Like so I even know I... Sean, you were gonna make him you were gonna make fun of me, but I actually know I know. I mean, no, no, I don't know. Her. I know she has a place. I know she has a place in New Zealand, but that's oh. I don't know her. Yeah, she's I know great. her for it, music touch. I should have just said nothing. Oh, would be yeah, good. yeah. Everyone would have well, thought. I mean, maybe she would come on the podcast next. Yeah, yeah, that's a beauty about it. So, so wow. your walk-up song would be just so we know uh, that we can we can add that. Yeah, to yeah. and I feel like a woman by Shania Twain has like that perfect yeah. entry point. Yeah, we're gonna have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about favorite movie of all time? My husband will tell you, like, I cannot pick one thing, so I don't have a really good answer. <laughs> oh, so you're, you're uh, a I, growing up, You're optional. See, yeah, I, you need everything's options. a favorite. Growing up with my dad, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is very strange for well, me oh, yeah. to get in and watch. And let's see. I feel like it's because it's on my mind. Love Actually is another classic that I really like. 
you're probably playing a lot of Frozen and all yeah, those Yeah, I was going to say, no, yeah, you're yeah, children's yeah. age. Like, I mean, I'm I tried surprised. to like, yeah. Yeah. Mana is the most recent one. I've actually, if you Moana. were to ask me, like, well, my most recent with Wana. So, yeah, your yeah. welcome song yeah. by the by the rock will never get out of your head. Yeah, it's yeah. no. I can no, sing it to you now. It's yeah, like we could. It's itched and yeah. forever. Yeah. yeah. What about this one? Favorite place to visit? Italy, hands down. That's like my number one spot. Oh. I love it. Whereabouts? Anywhere. I did study abroad for art there. And so whenever I have an opportunity and can do it, I just love visiting yeah. Italy. So That makes sense. And this is the main one, Michelle. This is where the whole podcast was designed for. We know you're not going to get this one wrong. Mm -hmm. No pressure. Peanut butter. How do you like yours? Crunchy or smooth? Crunchy. Yes. It's straight crunchy. Hey, didn't even no have like the didn't blink. Yeah, no, veg, no multiple choice there. Just straight in. No. Nope. The head yeah. didn't go. Oh, peanut butter jelly or anything like that. Just straight yeah. crunchy. No. Nope. Love it. In <laughs> crunchy. <laughs> Team crunchy. Yeah. Awesome. Hundred percent. Thanks for coming on, Michelle. Thanks, Thanks for, for sharing your me. insights. I know, despite the internet or technical glitches, we got there. <laughs> we did. It's all about agility in this job, isn't it? Absolutely.